Awesome. Hey, thank you all so much. Thank you, Kirsten, for leading us. And of course, Naomi and Joshua for the great uh, psalm. And uh, Hannah and your sweet niece, uh, I'm with you. I'm praying that this would be over soon. And just to, just to start out, just by getting a little information from you guys, just a quick show of hands. How many of you guys are tired of not being able to meet in person? So just, okay, I see you, yeah, I see you guys over there. Okay, and let me ask this though. How many of us are continuing to trust in the Lord that he's doing something during this time? Okay. All the same hands went up, and if it didn't go up the second time, then you need to pray and just trust that the Lord is doing something, because I, I truly believe uh, that he is. We do miss, uh, of course, being in fellowship together in person on Sunday mornings, but we're super excited about what the Lord's doing on Sunday nights. Um, if you're missing that connection with people and you are uh, you know, not concerned about coming out, um, come on out to the park, 5.30 to 7 uh, tonight. Again, bring your mask. We are going to, you know, practice safe social distancing. But it's just an opportunity to see some familiar faces and to connect. We've been praying for one another uh, from a distance. But uh, we would love to see you come out. Uh, again, if that's something that you feel like you are needing right now, uh, that's what Sunday nights are for. And we're looking to augment what we're doing on Sunday evenings, maybe even start to add some things for the youth and maybe an occasional get-together even for the kids. Uh, and we can all safely social distance and connect in Jesus uh, together. So Sunday nights, come on out if, uh, if you can. Uh, and as well, I'd encourage you just to be taking advantage of some of the different ways. Uh, men, I know a lot of you are involved in these small groups, and we're thankful for that. Ladies, I know that some of you are doing some different things uh, this summer, but uh, again, just look for ways to connect individually with people from the church, a quick phone call or a text or uh, a reaching out, a socially distant coffee uh, get-together. Uh, all of those things can do wonders just in terms of helping us to feel connected and to really be an encouragement uh, to one another during this time. So anyway, stay tuned. Uh, keep uh, abreast of the things that are going on here at church. Hopefully you all get the Wednesday uh, Connect email that, uh, that comes out. So um, with all that said, turn to Acts chapter 17. We have a great section of scripture to look at this morning. And in recent weeks, of course, we have been with the Apostle Paul and with his team at Philippi and then at Thessalonica. And this morning, we're going to be with them there in Berea. And we're going to look just at a few verses, but they are important ones because the Bereans as a community are important and they're kind of a well-known name within Christianity. Now, if you've, uh, as we're going to see today, you know, they've long been sort of set forth and seen as a really positive example of how a person should respond to biblical teachings. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard some sort of an exhortation to be a Berean. There are entire organizations, there are websites that are dedicated to equipping us to do just that. One website called the, the Berean Call says that the purpose of this ministry is to call believers in Jesus Christ to be like the Bereans. TBC's chief concern is the spiritual welfare of the body of Christ, and in particular, the encouragement of biblical discernment. Uh, another site, BeABerean.com, says that BeABerean is a ministry dedicated to providing resources, tools, and support for people joining the journey of faith. Our goal is to provide the tools, resources, and support for anyone seeking to dig, dig deeper into the scriptures. Now, those aren't necessarily organizations that we are in partnership with or necessarily support, just organizations that are out there trying to encourage this kind of a response. We've got Berean Bible churches. We have Berean Bible schools. We have Be a Berean t-shirts that are available for us to purchase. And most of us would probably rightly want to be a Berean. We'd want to be called and considered to be Berean-like in our approach to the Word of God. But what I think and what I'm really hoping that we're going to see this morning is that 
most of us may not actually understand all it means to be a Berean. And that their claim to fame as great students of the scriptures is really only half of their story. And I think we're going to see that the secret to their success lies in something else that is equally as important and yet maybe is even more uh, elusive than that. So let's pray and just ask the Lord to show us those things and, uh, and so much more in the, in the word this morning. So, Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the uh, example and the encouragement that the Bereans will give to us. Lord, we pray that you will be our teacher this morning, Lord, that your, your spirit would illuminate your text to us, Lord, that he would be the one to encourage and to equip, Lord, to exhort, to admonish uh, as is necessary. And so, Lord, we just entrust this time to you, Lord, and we pray that you'd give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to your church. And we ask it, Lord, as we do each and every week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we looked last week at the Apostle Paul's experience in that very strategic city of Thessalonica. It was the capital of the whole region of Macedonia. It was a major metropolitan center. It was a very busy commercial port along the Ignatian Way, that great Roman road. We watched as Paul reasoned from the scriptures in the synagogue for three full weeks. Remember, he was laying out all of that evidence from the Old Testament scriptures, which pointed prophetically and pointed perfectly to the life and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth as the fulfillment of the the coming and the long-awaited Jesus, uh, the Jewish Messiah, as well as the Savior of mankind, who would have to come, and he said, to suffer, to die, to rise again, just as that prophetic portrait predicted that he would. And as a result, we saw that it said that some of the Jews and a great multitude, it said, of these God-fearing Greeks received Jesus. They were all born again, and what would become a thriving church was established there in the city of Thessalonica. Just before, Paul and Silas were again run out of town by this angry mob that were, was incited by these unbelieving Jews, the ones, that, the ones that didn't believe and didn't receive the gospel message. And so we left off exactly where we'll pick up Again, in verse 10, we see that Paul is pressing on. It says in verse 10 of Acts chapter 17, it says that then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, just as we mentioned briefly when we finished up last time, this was now the fifth city so far, just during the first two trips that Paul has effectively been run out of town, always by these envious Jews. And yet off he goes to another town, and the first place he goes is right back into yet another synagogue, which we know has been Paul's usual practice in his attempt to start to really impact a new city with the gospel. He wanted to introduce the gospel and introduce Jesus as the fulfillment of that messianic hope. He wanted to do that first to those who had some sort of a working knowledge with, of the people that were familiar with those Old Testament scriptures. Now, I think that as we consider this, I think that we would think that the very last place that the Apostle Paul would want to go into when he came into a new city was another Jewish synagogue. If it were me, I'd have rented a hotel ballroom or maybe checked out the community center or even had church in a roller rink. And yet here Paul continues to go into these synagogues because God had declared that the gospel, as it says in Romans 1, that the gospel would go to the Jew first and then to the Greeks. And so Paul 
continues that pattern at what would be a tremendous expense to himself. And I I just think that that really speaks, even as we just get going in our text today, it speaks certainly to his courage, but it speaks even more so, I think, to his calling and to his commitment to that calling. Commitment to be faithful to that call upon his life, whatever the personal cost to him might have been, whatever he might have to pay in order to do that. And that's what I think should speak powerfully to each of us today, because I wonder if there might not be one or one or two of us even this morning where you are seriously contemplating abandoning your specific area of service to God or abandoning that call that God has upon your life as a powerful testimony to him through your life because it's just become so hard, right? The cost has become too great. And the truth is that ministry gets hard. It really does. And not the least of which is that never relenting spiritual warfare that is a part of it. And yet I think here, even as we trace just the movement on the map of the Apostle Paul, you know, from one city on to the next one, I just get the sense that God wants to remind you, he wants to encourage you through this faithfulness of the Apostle Paul just to continue on. Continue on no matter how hard things might get. Knowing that usually things get difficult in our ministry or in our callings or in our witness. They get difficult as the warfare and the the opposition increases. And that happens simply because your life is being powerful and your life is being influential in ways maybe that you can't even see. Because all you see maybe is the hardship. And that tends to just sort of suck all the oxygen out of the room. And what you don't see is all of the really good things that are going on. The good things that the Lord is doing through you as a result of your faithfulness. But be encouraged this morning, I think, just in the example of Paul, to stay in your place, right? To continue whatever it is that God has called you to do and to continue it wherever it is that he's called you to do it. For Paul, of course, that was now here next in this city of Berea. Now, Berea, we know, was an ancient city, which by the time we come here was still a relatively small city, but it had a large Jewish community. It was a city that was kind of nestled comfortably on the eastern slopes of a mountain range, which peaked with the summit of Mount Olympus. So, of course, all of the pagan people there in Berea looked up at this mountain just in awe because they believed it to be the home of the gods, literally where Zeus, the chief of gods, or Ares, the the god of war, the beautiful Minerva, you know, the goddess of love, where they all actually lived. But for the Jews who were there, they were a community that clung tenaciously to their own customs, and of course, particularly to their own religion, and they dreamt of the day when their God would send the Messiah and would gather them again into the promised land and then lead them into a new golden and a glorious age. Now, Berea was about 46 miles southwest of that larger city of Thessalonica. It was actually several miles off of that Ignatian way. And the Roman writer Cicero, he described the city as a town off the beaten path. So all of this, I think, is interesting because what we've seen so far from Paul and his companions as they traveled throughout Greece, they had been in these most major cities. They'd been in Philippi. They'd been in Thessalonica. They were heading ultimately for Athens, right? Very prominent cities, strategic, we've said, for the spread of the gospel message. And yet Berea, on the other hand, 
was a small town, right? Which in the large scale of things would have been pretty insignificant. No one would have been impressed with someone from Berea. They were not known for their universities. They were not known for their trade. They were not known for their monuments. But what we're going to see is that while the world may not have been particularly impressed with the Bereans, the record of scripture is very impressed with these people. Because what Luke records for us is that as Paul and as Silas and as Timothy were now ministering there in that city, in that synagogue, that they found that these Jews, it says in verse 11, that these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now we're not sure why Paul and his team stopped here in this smaller town of Berea. It may simply have been a convenient place to rest for the night, but we have to imagine that they were sure glad that they had stopped. I suspect, frankly, that the Spirit led them to this place kind of as a pause for some refreshment and some encouragement in their own difficult ministry because what they found here in Berea was a group of these dispersed Jews and these God-fearing Greeks who were as passionate and they were as devoted, they were as committed to the truth of the Old Testament scriptures as even Paul and Silas and Timothy were. This was a group of people who held the scriptures in such high regard that, again, Luke tells us that they searched the scriptures to find out whether or not Paul's teaching, whether or not this new gospel of grace lined up with what God had already revealed in his word. And it's in this that they have become this encouraging example and a really timeless testimony, even for us today, to be a Berean. Right? The real authority in their lives was the word of God. The scriptures were the standard for all of their doctrine and their practice. In other words, they wanted the Bible to be what set the standard for everything that they believed and everything that they lived. Right? Where's that in the Bible? So you want me to believe this? Well, then show me that in the Bible. If you want me to do that, well, then show me that in the Bible. They wanted a biblical basis for everything, even if it was being said to them by the apostle and this sort of celebrity rabbi, Paul. That word searched in verse 11, it's an interesting one. Literally, it means examined or to examine carefully and intently. In other words, they listened to Paul's teachings and then they took what they had heard and they studied it and they tested it and they judged it with the scriptures or in light of the scriptures. Of course, now, you know, we have the benefit of being able to look back 2,000 years of history for perspective and we can consider that they were testing the teachings of the greatest Christian from a human perspective who's ever lived. This man who had a special commission from Jesus, he was prepared personally by Jesus, remember, out in the deserts of Arabia. This man who wrote 13 or more probably 14 of the epistles in the New Testament, he fleshed out our Christian faith theologically in a way that no one else possibly could have. And here were the Bereans, right? Their little mountain town, and they are evaluating and examining his every word and his message in light of how it lined up with the scriptures. And I think that Paul welcomed it. I think he wasn't offended at all by it. In fact, I believe he probably rejoiced in it. Later, he would write back to the Thessalonians 
that we are to test all things, that we're to hold fast to what is good. And the only way for us to truly test any new teaching on any subject is by holding it up to see how it compares to the word of God itself. Remember back in uh, Isaiah the prophet, he warned God's people about the dangers of judging truth or of accepting teachings by any other standard or from any other source. In Isaiah chapter 8, he says, Should not a people seek their God? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Speaking of these false prophets. So understand, Paul wasn't offended at all by their scrutiny because he knew that it wasn't actually his message that they were scrutinizing. It was the Lord's. And really, there's no teacher who is truly teaching the word of God who should ever feel challenged or for, should ever be offended in any way that people would listen to what they're saying and not simply take it at face value but instead that those people would sit back and say, okay, you know, when I see that in the scriptures or through further study, then I'll allow that thing to become part of my heart and part of my relationship with God. But I'm not going to simply do that just because you said it. So it teaches us never to elevate any Bible teacher above the word of God itself. And so you should never just take my word for anything without checking it out for yourself to make sure that it's bearing witness with the word of God. I have had people ask me why I so often will quote so many scriptures during one single teaching. And one dear brother said to me, it's almost like I'm trying to prove that what I'm saying is really true. And that is exactly what I'm trying to do. You guys are on to me. I can see that. So can I just say that, you know, so often I'll hear somebody say, well, you know, pastor so-and-so said this and such. Well, frankly, who cares about what pastor so-and-so says? What does the Bible say? Now, what I will say about that is that if pastor so-and-so says something that speaks to you, and then you go and you check it out. And then if you agree with them on the basis of the fact, maybe of what Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, or maybe what Jesus taught in his teaching there on the Mount of Olives, if then it becomes part of you and becomes yours, right? No one wants to stay in that place in our Christian life where everything that we believe is only because some trusted teacher told us that we should believe it. Remember that next step is always to seek it out ourselves. First of all, during the course of the study itself, right? With my own eyes, in my own Bible, in the passage, which is precisely why we bring our Bibles to church or precisely why I know that each and every one of you has them there with you in your hands right now at home. Right? I don't care whether it's hardbound or soft cover or some big reference version or some little compact version. I don't care if it's electronic, on your phone, whatever it is. But to have it as we hear it so that we can see it and then go off during the week and maybe dig into it more deeply on our own. See, then it becomes mine. And then at that point... I can leave the teacher out of that mediator position and I can go right to the Bible. I can say, you know what? The Bible says this or the Bible says that related to this thing or, or that issue. And that's the kind of place that the word of God needs to really have in each and every one of our lives as believers, right? A good teacher maybe gets you thinking about it, right? He or she piques our interest, right? Gets us to study it a little bit more until it actually becomes ours out of that study. 
That's what the Bereans did here. And that's why they remain a spirit-inspired example for us. But that's not the only reason that I think the scriptures hold them up in such high regard. Because being such strong students of the scriptures, that's what they did. But I think it's also in why they did it, and it's also in how they did it. I think it's also in the heart behind them doing it. That, I think, also we need to note as well. Because I think that we've only seen half their story there in the second half of this verse. The other half is actually in the first half of that very same verse. Again, look at the beginning of verse 11, where Luke tells us, speaking of the Bereans, that these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. So underline that part of the verse, because at its root, this is the foundation of the success of the Bereans. It's not simply that they searched the scriptures, but that they did it with a more open mind, that they were more fair-minded. Now, if any of you use the old King James Version, it says that they were more noble. And that's a great description because the word that's used here actually means that they were more well-born. And it speaks of a, of a nobility really in the best sense of the word. Now, today, and especially now, right now, because there's such a clash of classes that whole thought of a nobility or of being noble, that whole class of people can be easily criticized because in many cases that nobility is just something that's been passed from one person to another. There's no merit uh, for the person to whom it was being passed. But that is not at all the sense of what they're saying here. It speaks of a, of a nobility or a, a rising to the top above others that's deserved, that's earned, that's well-deserved because that nobleness is based on actually being noble in their character, right? The idea is that there's people that stand out above the mass of humanity. They're the rare kind of person, the exception to the rule. They're extraordinary. That's what the Holy Spirit is pointing out about these people, that they were more fair-minded, they were more noble in character, and their commitment then to search the scriptures was simply an outworking of that nobleness, if you will, right? They received the word, it says, with all readiness. Again, that's an important thing to understand. Literally, that means they received it with eagerness, Again, the old King James says they had a readiness of mind. It carries kind of that idea that they were free of prejudice, right? This was the attitude with which they came to listen to the things that Paul has to say. This was really the heart behind those of the congregation of Berea. They had an eagerness concerning the word of God. Right There was kind of a, a rushing forward, even carries the sense of a, a leaning forward in their chairs. They were not only listening to what Paul had to say, they were listening intently so they could absorb it. They wanted to hear every word, every syllable that he was teaching them from the word of God. And certainly it's a wonderful thing to teach anybody anything, but it's an especially wonderful thing to teach the Bible to an audience or to a group of people who are eager and who are open to hear what's being said and more so than to consider the impact that should have in their own lives. You know, I think there's a certain kind of person who refuses to listen to any contrary opinion on anything related to what they already believe about almost any subject. And they do it really out of fear that their beliefs might somehow be challenged. And further, that those same beliefs might be exposed as false when they're compared to something else. And so, you know, they put up these 
barriers against that kind of thing happening. And you know, there are just certain things that they just won't talk about, certain things that they can't talk about without feeling threatened or becoming angry. And yet the truth is, any time that we resort to some kind of artificial protection of what we believe, what that is, is it's always a really silent confession on our part of the weakness of that belief, because we don't think that it's strong enough to stand up to some sort of an exa uh, examination. It's always a sign not of the strength of our belief, but more so of the weakness. And certainly there are other kinds of people who don't want their thinking or their doing or their lifestyle to be exposed by the word of God or even to be tested by the word of God. Sometimes because when they were you know, exposed to the Bible, sometimes perhaps in their past, that it brought conviction, right? It started to expose the lifestyle or expose their, their own beliefs. And so they're determined now not to have that happen again because their thinking or their lifestyle hasn't changed at all. For many people, they just know intuitively that the things that they believe in and the way that they're living their life is wrong. They just know it because their conscience is always convicted about it. They're convicted about the choices that they're making. And so in order to just dull down that further conviction of their sin or to, to cover up the faultiness of their beliefs, they just sort of are enjoying this place where life's the way they want it. They want to avoid any discussion of anything that might upset that. At the moment, they're just wanting to kind of camp right wherever it is that they are, and they don't want to be disturbed in that. It's like they're saying, you know, I, I'm happy with my life. I know that the things that I'm doing are wrong, but I just want to live here for now, so don't talk to me about these kinds of things. But remember, we've talked before about what Jesus said in John chapter 3, when he said that this is the condemnation he says that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now understand, the point of all of this is not to offend anyone who doesn't yet believe because we each likely lived a portion of our lives in this very same condition, knowing that the way we were living was wrong, not wanting anyone to talk to us about the Bible or about Christianity or about right or wrong because we just wanted to live this way for a while until we finally came to our senses and we finally turned to the Lord. It is so easy to look and to see someone still in this condition and to really understand why they would be so uncomfortable with God's word, because the truth is, none of us have ever won an argument with the Bible. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon wrote that a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain or will acquire wise counsel. So the, the, the wise man or the wise woman is the one who knows that they don't know everything yet. And that person who knows that they don't know everything yet on any given subject, that's a person who is still teachable. Right? That's a person who's still interested in being stretched and in growing in their knowledge on whatever the subject might be. And then the beauty and the strength of the Bereans here is that they were not only open, not only were they eager in this way to be open to new things and to be open to new thinking, but then they took those things and they judged them openly in the perfect light of the scriptures. They were diligent and they were disciplined to do it. Luke tells us here that they did it daily until it was done. And under, remember, at that time, no one had their own copies of the scriptures in their homes. 
So these Bereans had to come back to the synagogue during the week, ask the rabbi to help them search through these precious scrolls. And what a picture we have of them sitting there in the synagogue with these sacred scrolls in their hands, leaning forward, right? Listening eagerly with this wonder and surprise on their faces, maybe looking inquiringly at each other as they unrolled these great sort of volumes of these vellum parchments, right? And, and they turn from one passage of scripture to another passage of scripture. And the result of all of this, no surprise, when we read in verse 12, that it says, therefore, many of them believed. And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Now notice that this response was a little bit different than the response from the Jews back in Thessalonica, where the result of all of that reasoning from the scriptures, up in verse 4, look at it, we saw that Luke told us that some of them were persuaded, but here we see that many of them believed. Many of these Jews and a whole lot of the Greeks and again, the prominent women. And this was because of their fair-mindedness and their noble character. When Paul preached, they had open hearts, but they also had clear heads. You know, some people have clear heads, but they have closed hearts. And so it was both of these things that hold up the Bereans and make them an example for us today. Again, Paul knew he had nothing to fear in their diligent searching of the scriptures by the Bereans because whenever someone is really seeking God, seeking his word, the spirit will always lead them to the truth. Jesus himself said of the spirit in John 16 that when he, the spirit of truth, comes, that he will guide you into all truth. So whatever it is that we're seeking understanding about, the power is always in the word of God. It's not in what does he or she think. It's not in what do you think. It's certainly not in what do I think, but what does God say about this thing? And we just have to wonder how many problems would be solved and how many questions would be answered if people would only take the time to seek and to study the scriptures daily for the answers to these questions which seem to be increasingly coming our way. This is why Paul wrote to the Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith comes, our faith increases, not in you know encounter sessions or in some sort of group therapy, but it comes when we're giving hearing to the word of God. Faith comes to those who are in the word because only the word truly can impact our lives and change our hearts and strengthen our faith and renew our minds just the way it did here in Berea. And looking at this, we have to think that this was one of the most encouraging experiences that Paul ever had. We will not read of any other city where he was given such a fair hearing or where people were so honest in seeking to know whether the message he was preaching was really based in the scriptures. And what an encouragement it would be today to find more people that we all witness with and, and talk to who would demonstrate this same kind of nobility, right, that the Bereans had. Putting aside all their prejudices, putting aside all of our preconceived notions, and just examining fairly the questions that are really coming to us and testing those things in light of the scriptures. This had to be such a great time of refreshing for Paul and for Silas and for Timothy. But of course, we're going to see next that it was a refreshing time that was kind of short-lived because it says in verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up 
the crowds, right? Are you kidding me? Right? Just like we've seen before, these men made this nearly 50-mile walk right, from Thessalonica to Berea. They weren't satisfied just to force Paul out of their own city, but they even followed Paul to the next one to disrupt the work that he was doing there. But what I want us to understand here and what I want us to take a moment just to think about is that these men who made this walk all the way from Thessalonica to Berea, they probably did this, no doubt, thinking that what they were doing was somehow protecting and preserving the very roots of their own Jewish religion. They were protecting their own faith. They thought, no doubt, that they were doing God's work by so fiercely seeking to silence Paul. And yet they were so set, they were so stuck in their own thinking, and they were completely unwilling to approach things with an open and a fair mind that they actually made themselves enemies of God and the things that he was doing. See, it was because they didn't seek the scriptures in a fair-minded way, because they didn't let the scriptures give them guidance. And we are at a point, I think, like perhaps no other time, when the things that we know and the things that we believed are being consistently and constantly called into question, where our faith is being tested in the ways that it applies to different cultural or societal issues that are raging all around us, the ways that our faith needs to be the thing that really guides our response as Christians first and as citizens second, as we consider these questions, right? Our allegiance, it seems like, is being demanded to different thought systems and different movements, to different organizations which might not align with or certainly don't align fully with biblical values, don't align with the things that the Lord wants, even though the main messages of these movements might sound sound. And so we need to listen to these voices. We need to listen with openness and a nobleness and an eagerness. But then we need to search the scriptures and let the scriptures be the thing which then determines what our very settled response should be. Now, I don't know about you, but certainly seems to me that life just keeps getting harder and harder. And the, the world is an increasingly more difficult place to live in as a Christian. And so the knowledge of the scriptures that we once may have had, I think just isn't sufficient or suitable anymore to the challenges that we're facing today. And so what we need and what we need to want is to be deeper and deeper intimately involved in the word of God than we have ever been before, right? We need to stay biblical in our perspective, just like the believing Bereans did, so that we can really avoid being carried away by kind of this mob mentality that we see here, right? Running poor Paul out of town again because they wouldn't let go of these preconceived prejudices that they had. But what we see again, as we see every time as we finish up here, the Lord used all of this, right? Even these mistakes of men, even the opposition that the enemy was bringing here, he used it all to push Paul on to his very next field of ministry. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. And so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So the believers in Berea kind of outwitted the enemy. They sneak Paul out to the sea where they put him on a ship and sent him off to Athens. They left uh, Silas and Timothy behind for a bit. 
again, so that they could strengthen those brand new believers before Paul would call for them and then they would go and join him in Athens, right? Here in the intellectual capital of all of history, right? The city of Aristotle and of Plato and of Socrates, the city, as we'll read next week, of the unknown God, which we're going to see Paul will make known to them. And yet that's all for next week. For this week, you know, we think about this example of the Bereans. And what's important to remember is that it's not something that was intended to simply be academic for us, but it's something that should become a part of us. It should become the basis of our faith. Because as we study through this whole book of Acts, we're not just studying it solely as a history of the early church, but we're trying to take the time to really learn about the kind of Christianity that would not only survive in the early church against great persecution, secular persecution and religious persecution, not only would it survive that kind of persecution, but ultimately it's the kind of Christianity that would thrive and ultimately come to dominate the entire world. We want to understand the kind of Christianity that has that kind of impact, the kind of Christianity that produces that kind of Christian. And then we want to take that kind of Christianity and we want to compare it and put it alongside of what currently counts for Christianity here in our culture today. We want to put it up against the Christianity in our own personal lives. And we need to really allow it to be challenged and for our lives to be changed if there's change that's needed. We don't want to spend our lives, we don't want to waste our lives in some kind of a Christianity that's just a cultural Christianity or an unscriptural kind of a Christianity. We don't want to spend our lives in some kind of Christianity that is so very far from what Jesus died on a cross and was buried and rose again from the grave in order that he could provide for each and every one of us. And so we ask ourselves this morning, right, in the privacy of our own hearts and maybe even as we take communion later, we need to ask ourselves, do I really receive the word of God with all readiness of mind? Is my attitude toward God, is there a hunger for the word of God? And if it isn't, then we need to be willing to really let the Lord speak to us about these things. Maybe there was a time when we did have that kind of a hunger that we see in the Bereans here, but now for some reason, we just don't have that anymore. And we need to be able to just ask the Lord, God, I need you to freshly fill me with your spirit and renew that kind of a beautiful hunger in my life in my heart for the word of God. Renew it so that I would come to prize it and value it even more than I value my daily bread, right? My encouragement for us today is to, to really let the Bereans be the standard for our own Christian walk, not the lukewarmness of what we see around us in Christianity and our culture, or even that we see certainly within the church today. Now, I know that that's a lot to consider, but I want us to consider it really as we consider the cross as we celebrate communion. You know, as we take time to take the bread and to take the cup, and as we remember that sacrifice of Jesus and all that it means to us and all that it has done for us in our lives. And then we really take time to consider our response simply to live noble lives you know, like the Bereans here in light of what Jesus has done. Amen? So we're going to take time. We'll, uh, we'll close in, in one more song. And as we do, 
you'll of course just be available to take communion on your own, whether you're there at home with your family or, or just with your spouse, or whether it's just you and the Lord beautifully spending time together. Just an opportunity to close out our morning and take this final song really to do that. Allow the Lord, allow the Spirit to search your heart and to just reveal to you if there's any areas that he wants to shore up for you. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and we do pray that as we take this opportunity, Lord, to observe communion this morning, Lord, just in the privacy of our own homes, Lord, in the privacy of our own hearts, we pray that your spirit would do that deep work of searching each one of us, Lord. Speak to us about areas in our lives, Lord, where um, where you would like to, to see correction, Lord, or where you would encourage us, Lord, to press in and to go deeper. And so, Father, we pray that that as we uh, as we do this, Lord, that this is something that would never become common to us, Lord, that we would do it in remembrance of the tremendous sacrifice, Lord, and the incredible price that was paid for our salvation, Lord, and so that we could just enjoy that sense of intimacy again with you. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Take this time now, enjoy, and just linger in this place with the Lord uh, during communion, uh, during this last song. So God bless you guys this week. We'll see some of you tonight uh, in the park. We'll see some of you Wednesday, and uh, we hope to connect with you all as soon as possible. God bless you guys.